Hey everyone, and welcome back to Marvel News. My name is Sean Gerber, and joining me shortly will be my co-host, Paul Herman. As you know, we are dedicated to all things Marvel on this show, but particularly the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is episode 57 and the third stop on our road to Avengers Infinity War. So we're going to be looking back on Iron Man 2 from 2010, directed by Jon Favreau. Now, before we get to the show, I have to take advantage of the fact that I have you as a captive audience right now to let you know where you can find more from Marvel News. You can find this podcast, as well as articles written every day about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, over on our website, marvelstudiosnews.com. You can also find us on Facebook as Marvel Studios News, and on Twitter, we are at Marvel Newscast. Please feel free to share our show with your friends, and if you're on iTunes, we would love a rating and review from you, our dear listener. And finally, if you're a true believer, you can support our show on Patreon at patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News. We have 11 new patrons this week to thank, so I'm going to go ahead and do that now. Thank you very much to Brady Speed, David Price, Nick Mamos, Brian Smith, Brandon Berger, Seth Goslin, Jack Godwin, Carrie Vanderberg, Kevin Colbert, or is it Colbert, Kevin Fandry, and Joey Avalos. So these patrons have uh, supported our show, and because they are supporting us as well as the patrons that we were thanking last week, we have 22 patrons so far, and we really appreciate all the support. Um, all of those patrons on Patreon, which could be you, are getting exclusive content from this show on our Patreon page. So we do, for every episode, we do Patreon credit scenes, bonus scenes, uh, extensions of the episode, where for each of these movies that we're talking about, we are kind of connecting, we are exploring the connective threads between uh, the movie we're talking about. So this week it'll be for Iron Man 2 and, of course, Avengers Infinity War that's coming up in May. Uh, we also talk about some of the latest and hottest Marvel news. So for this week, we went ahead and had a discussion about the upcoming changes to the relationship between Marvel Television and Netflix, and of course how that impacts the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News. You get that original con you get that additional content for only three dollars a month. So you can check that out as well as all the other different tiers we have for the different rewards we have for those of you who are who do choose to support us on Patreon. So thank you so much for all of you who've done that so far. Thank you to all of you who might be considering it. And thank you, of course, to everyone who's taken the time to go ahead and download and listen to this show. That is thanks enough, but we always appreciate any additional support that you can provide. So without further ado, I will shut up about all this business talk and we will get on with our show. All right, Paul, it's time to take our uh, our Marvel medicine. We're going to talk about Iron Man 2. <laughs> on this That's good. I like that. Let's keep that. <laughs> yeah, we're keeping it. It's in. So, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, there were uh, there are three episodes on this road to Infinity War that I'm not that I wasn't immediately like looking really looking forward to. Uh, one of them was Incredible Hulk last week. Uh, another one is Iron Man 2 this week, and then eventually we'll get to uh, get to Thor The Dark World. Um, <laughs> but I, I should, but like, I know everybody's thinking like, this is going to like ramp up to be some bash fest and it's, it's not, at least not on my end, because I actually do like Iron Man two for the most part. I have a lot of the same problems with it that some other people do, but maybe don't feel as strongly negative about those flaws as, as other people do. 
Um, but overall, I, I actually enjoy the film. So it's it's not going to be a, a scenario where this is not a movie that I hate and that I just plan on spending the next you know 45 minutes or an hour, however long it takes, to just bash the movie. Uh, that's definitely not the plan. But we're not even we're not going to talk about the movie yet, not the movie itself. Uh, because as we always do on this road to Infinity War, because this is the third episode, so we've certainly established a trend by now, uh, we are going to go ahead and talk about what it was like before the movie came out. So this is a very different set of circumstances in 2010, uh, because we had, unlike the two movies we talked about from 2008, at this point we have a very firm idea of what the Marvel Cinematic Universe is going to be. Obviously, the first Iron Man film was very successful, and at this point, we know that there's going to be a Thor movie the year after this, a Cap movie the year after this, uh, and there's also going to be uh, an Avengers movie. So everything is, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has taken shape by the time we really get to know anything about uh, this movie. But one of the stories, one of the big stories right out the gate with this, though, is that we had a casting change because Terrence Howard, who had played Rhodey, uh, a.k.a. War Machine, although he didn't get to be War Machine uh, in the first film, was... Next repl- time, baby. <laughs> yeah, next time, baby. Not for you, baby. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he was replaced uh, by, by Don Cheadle. And, of course, it's very casually addressed uh, in the film with... Didn't exp- with uh, Tony Stark saying, I didn't expect to see you here at the Senate hearing, and James Rhodes saying, look, it's me, I'm here, let's move on. So uh, what did you think when you first heard that they were going to be recasting? Um, I was a little surprised. Um, I actually liked Terrence Howard for the most part. I thought he was a, you know, I've always liked Rhodey and War Machine um, a lot in the comics. He was always a, you know, it's funny because I always thought that, like, you that they were kind of equal footing mm-hmm. in their comics because, you know, in when I read comics and looking back at it, it was uh, James Rhodes who was in the Secret Wars comics that I read as a kid. It's not Tony Stark. And as I, you know, as I got to know the characters more and more, like eventually War Machine took over the Iron Man comic books and that, and then, you know, he eventually returned and did his own thing. But like James Rhodes was like, was for a while, like the staple of Iron Man. And so, to me, I I just thought he was such an important character. It was weird for me that for them to like recast him and all these problems with Terrence Howard and and whatnot, which I understand why they had to move on because of his contract and his problems on the set um, of dealing you know of dealing with him whatever. Um, but I have to I have to say I'm not the biggest Don Cheadle fan as uh, James Rhodes and. I wasn't like a huge, um, you know, fan of him going into the like as far as the actor going into the movie, and for some reason I just, you know, I just I was kind of like, eh, I guess that works, you know. So I don't know, Don Cheadle. He's he seems like a, a good dude. I think he's not a bad actor. I think he's a good actor, but I just don't know if he fits Rhodey's character. I think Rhodey is like a a big kind of muscular guy, and he's so tiny. And it just kind of just takes me out of it a little bit, but that's just me being like it's not like the comic books a little bit. So I, I I definitely will say that. But to me, looking into it, I just never thought it was like a slam dunk. I was I just thought, oh okay. Yeah, I mean the the news was surprising to me because usually when we talk about recasting roles in comic book movies, it's after like the second or third movie. You know, like 
a contract is up, so now it's time to recast because whoever it was in in this or that role didn't want to sign on for more, and that's usually what prompts uh, recasting. In this case, it was a scenario where um, you know really it was trying it was kind of a trying to renegotiate the contract because what a lot of people forget, although we did, I think we highlighted this in our Iron Man show, is that Terrence Howard made more money on the first Iron Man movie than Tony Stark did. Or I'm sorry, not Tony Stark, Robert Downey Jr. Same guy. <laughs> um, but like, that's the interesting thing, though, is like, you know, it, it, Terrence Howard had been making more money. And of course, at that point, you know, Marvel was going to have to pay Downey more and rightfully so, because he was the star of the of the franchise. Um, and as they were trying to renegotiate Terrence Howard's deal, he wasn't necessarily up for that. And I get it from his perspective. You know, he had a deal and he doesn't want to renegotiate it uh, for whatever reason. So I, I get that. So uh, and, and obviously, I wasn't, you know, I don't know what the what everything that went into any of those conversations and nobody does, nobody who really does speaks all that publicly about it, but for whatever reason it, it went away. And then, uh, Don Cheadle came in and I was actually very happy with that move. Cause even though it was a little weird to have the recasting, I, I actually was a big fan of Don Cheadle. I had really liked a lot of his previous work. So, um, and I didn't love Terrence Howard in the first Iron Man movie. I thought he was fine, but I didn't love his performance and I had always enjoyed uh, Don Cheadle's performances, so I actually kind of thought, uh, actor-wise, that this might be a little bit of an upgrade for Rhodey. I mean, I, I'm, I'm with you, Paul, in that he doesn't necessarily come across as Rhodey from the comics, but Terrence Howard didn't either. Like, I don't think they've really captured Rhodey from the comics because he's, yeah. he's always just like a harder, tougher, kind of more grizzled guy. Yes. And, mm-hmm. um you know, then, then he's come across in, in the MCU. So I don't know why, you know, what that was about. I mean, I was actually a bigger War Machine fan in the comics than I was an Iron Man fan. Just because mm. War Machine was just, he was just kind of like Tony Stark, but cooler and tougher. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And obviously mm-hmm. had the armor with all the guns and missiles and all this other stuff. So, you know, I mean, I liked both of them, obviously, but I, I probably liked War Machine just a little bit more. Um, but I, I still liked Don Cheadle, and I was uh, I was happy enough with that. The other thing that I remember about the buildup, if there was actually one thing I was more concerned about than the recasting, it was actually the time frame. Because the second movie was coming out just two years and like a couple days long, you know, from when the first film was released. And I know that two years is is fairly standard for a lot of sequels. But I tend to think that sequels do better and, and actually are better movies when there's more time in between them um, because it just – I mean it's just crazy to think because like you have to – that means you're basically you know, shooting a year after the first movie comes out. So I – and that doesn't necessarily leave you a ton of time to really develop the next story and have another script. It, it's one thing if you're like – if you've pre-planned like and written out two movies or three movies or whatever, and you're filming them back to back or close to it. That's a different case. But with Iron Man, they didn't, it's not like they had the second movie just completely written and ready to go um, before they started making it. Like they really started that process. I mean, I'm sure they kicked around ideas for a second movie, but the real kind of development of that started moving forward uh, after the first one came out. So I just didn't think it had enough time to develop. And I think that's probably what shows. Um, Cause actually if you, if you look at Marvel in terms of when they've released a sequel to any of their solo franchises, 
arguably Marvel's two worst movies also have the shortest turnaround time from first film to sequel because Iron Man 2 came out just two years after Iron Man and Thor The Dark World came out two and a half years after Thor. So Mm -hmm. there is kind of something, you know, the the films that have had better sequels actually had uh, a little more time to develop. Like Captain America Winter Soldier was almost three years after First Avenger. Guardians 2 was almost three years after Guardians. And of course, we've had three years between uh, each of the Avengers movies. And also Thor Ragnarok was four years after the previous uh, Thor solo film. So it just seems like when you allow a little more time, you end up getting a better story out of it. So I remember that being um, a little bit of a concern, but it was all of those concerns, like the recasting and the short turnaround time, a lot of that was just kind of overridden for me by the excitement of, like as I said at the very top of this show, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is here and it's real now. Like it's it's coming together um, because even though we haven't seen Thor or Cap movies yet, we we know that they're happening now. It's not this thing of maybe these will happen. By the time Iron Man Two is coming out, we know those movies are in production and they're going mm-hmm. to be out the very next year. So I remember going into Iron Man in. Uh, with a kind of a different level of even I was very confident going into the first film because I loved the trailer so much, but it was just a different kind of confidence, you know, going into Iron Man 2 and a different kind of excitement going into Iron Man 2 uh, because it was it was yes, it was, you know, yes, this movie that's right in front of me, but also knowing exactly what's coming behind it. Yeah, it, it, this movie was very exciting for me uh, because I loved Iron Man. And this was truly the, the kind of the true beginning of, of after Incredible Hulk the, of the new Mar- MCU. I want to say new MCU, but it kind of felt like this was going to be the start of something because, you know, the Hulk wasn't, you know, the Incredible Hulk wasn't this giant success like Iron Man was. This is truly the you know Marvel Studios first follow up to a giant hit. And I was really excited because it had everything as a comic book fan that I wanted, which was, you know, or as an Iron Man fan anyway, was having War Machine, Iron Man. And then you had, you know, a, a, a character like Whiplash, you know, being portrayed by uh, Mickey Rourke, who was coming off a hot performance in The Wrestler. Yeah, so, I was super excited about Mickey Rourke's casting. Yeah, yeah, and, and the wrestler was a great movie, and, uh, and he should have won that Oscar instead of Sean oh, Penn for Milk. I'm th- dude, that's that's right. yeah, I'm with you that. on that one. That was pretty brutal. I'm not gonna lie; they, they, he got he got shafted. That's for sure. For sure. So, but so I mean, it was it had a lot riding on. There was a lot going on with this movie. It was it had the hot actor at the time. You know, it had it, it recast on Cheadle, which wasn't. It, I mean, as much as I'm not like a giant Cheadle fan, he's obviously still a pretty big name, you know, right. in, in in Hollywood. And very so well, and very well liked. Ex- exactly. So I mean, you had so you also had the fact that you like you said Thor and Captain America are, are coming. You know, they're being filmed at this juncture. You know, or at this time, and and it's just like, man, this is so exciting. And I I remember just being super jazz for this movie. I mean, it was like, it, I was more excited for this than I had in a long time. And I just, I, I just knowing what Marvel did in Iron Man one and still liking the incredible Hulk. I just could not wait to see what they would do. I know there, I know there was some weird stuff going on in the production or um, the writing of the movie. Cause Justin Thoreau, um, yep. I, I know he wrote the movie. Yes, he did. And I, I, but I want to say, now maybe I'm not remembering correctly. I want was this affected by the writer's strike or something or something like that? I mean, it, it shouldn't like, have been because the writer's strike was in 2007. Right. Um, there was some. There was something going on 
Well, that's I remember. What it was. This what it was. This what it was. It was. It was. Um, Robert Downey Jr. wanted a little more say in the movie, mm-hmm. and that's what it was. Because Justin Thoreau wrote *Tropic Thunder*, he mm-hmm. wanted to bring him on to right. *Iron Man 2*. And I don't. And I'm. I don't know. I don't know if I'm reading into this incorrectly, or maybe I'm reading too much into it, or making my own stuff up. But it felt like there was a disconnect between Favreau and Justin Thoreau. Well, and there were there were rumors at the time that, and this was after the more more of this came out like after the movie was out, but you know rumors that there had been conflict between Favreau and Thoreau, and that also brought conflict between Favreau and Downey. Although mm. whatever, whatever conflict there was, it obviously wasn't that serious because they've worked together since then. Like obviously they've remained very close friends. Like. Favreau brought Downey in to be in his movie Chef, uh, you know, and you ha- which he didn't have to do. Um, right. You know, and of course, Favreau has stayed with the MCU, even though he hasn't been directing. He's still been showing up in Iron Man movies and even other movies as, as Happy Hogan. So mm-hmm. um, I definitely don't think it was a scenario where whatever was going on, like they didn't get along to the point where it was catastrophic for the relationship. But, you know, maybe it was just a little more static. But I think... Uh, I really think it just goes back to the time frame, like that there everybody was just trying to do probably the best they could with the time that they had, and probably nobody mm-hmm. felt like they had enough time, you know. And, yeah, and I think yeah. that, I think that might have been something that contributed to it. But uh, I like the you know I actually forgot about you know the Mickey Rourke stuff because I was gonna, I was going to talk about him during the movie, but um, <laughs> you know in the build up though that was a huge casting because that was come I know everybody looks at that Mickey Rourke casting and rolls their eyes now, and he does too, but. Um, you know, a lot of at the time, like that was that was huge because Mickey Rourke was hot at that time. Like he was coming out, not just the wrestler, but also from 2005 in Sin City. You know, that that kind of kicked off the the great Mickey Rourke comeback that really kind of ended with the wrestler, into the, or, or maybe maybe ended with this one in, in Iron Man too, because he hasn't right. quite you know reemerged again in, in quite as big of a way since then. Um, but yeah, I remember being. Uh, being very excited about Mickey Rourke as uh, as the villain, and I thought he could do something really, really fun and, and really, really crazy uh, for Iron Man too. Like I was definitely more excited about um, Mickey Rourke being a villain in this movie than Sam Rockwell, uh, because I, I liked Sam Rockwell. I had seen him in other films and enjoyed him, but certainly I didn't have him. I wasn't holding him on the level that I was holding uh, Mickey Rourke. So I, I had. Way higher expectations for uh, for Mickey Rourke going into uh, going into Iron Man two, but yeah, I remember you know going to uh, I just remember going into this movie feeling really good about it, you know, because I I also remember seeing the first uh, the first trailer where we got where like it it end I don't know if it's at the very end of the trailer or if it's near the end, but we get that first like back to back shot of Iron Man and War Machine and War Machine mm-hmm. just gunning down those drones. And like, I just kept thinking, as soon as I saw that shot, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm hooked. Like, I mean, I was already hooked anyway for that movie. But then as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, it, it was just kind of that reminder of what made the first Iron Man so great of like, these are moments that are just pure, like comic book splash page that for some reason have never been making it into comic book movies. Um, and yet here it is. Uh, yeah. and, and Marvel just keeps doing it. You know, they just keep taking what's in the comics and just throwing it on the screen in this really big, uh, fantastic, spectacular way. So, yeah, I was I was all in on Iron Man 2, you know, going into it. Now, do you remember, 
I know this, you know, Iron Man 2 is not as significant of a movie as, as Iron Man, but you, do you remember where you were, like, when you oh, first yeah. saw it and, you know, who you were with? Now, you'll, just for the record, I want all the audience to realize that I have a weird memory, and I can pretty much tell you where I was the first time for most all these movies, including the ones that everyone considers a stinker. And, um, and so I just want to say that for the record. Some even have more of these for special... For the record. Yeah, for the record. Uh have the strict, stricken from the uh, strict. Uh, what's the? I can't even say that word. Stricken. Stri- stricken oh my god. The record. Stricken. I couldn't say stricken. Have that stricken from the record. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I, I, I digress. So <laughs> this. <laughs> I can't wait. To, you know, every. You know, it's funny. Just really quick. I think it's always fun to go back and see where you see these movies together, or who you see them with. Oh yeah. You know, it's always fun to go back and see the lead up. It's like I just love this stuff. Um, yeah. This is. I mean, of these. You know, as we're doing this road to Infinity War, this is my. You know, th- th- these are my favorite kind of segments that we have is talking about the build up to these movies because we've yeah. it, we've had the chance to review these movies multiple times on multiple podcasts that we've done over the years. So it's like yeah. we definitely talked about uh, you know, talked about these movies, you know, and, and the content within the movies. And we'll, we'll still obviously we still get to that in these shows. But, yeah, I love talking about the build up because that's something we haven't spent a lot of time talking about. And that's, yeah. I also think it's important to kind of remember just like this this entire journey of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it's about more than the movies themselves. It's about this entire experience of yeah. anticipating these movies and then finally seeing them. Yeah. Yeah. So. For Iron Man 2, um, I can tell you that I saw it with um, with my wife, and I saw it with uh, my good buddy Adam, who's a, who's a big comic book superhero fan like myself, a big Marvel guy, and his uh, well, his future wife as well. We're all we I think we're all uh, girlfriend boyfriends at that point, um, but uh, but yeah, like he uh, our future wives, and um, really excited. Saw it Friday night, which was I think the first time I had not seen a a superhero movie at midnight or or opening night. Um, you know, in a long, long time. And, uh, I remember being very tired watching it. And I remember us waiting in line for a long time. And when we, um, when we sat down, we watched the film and, uh, I, I'll just, I'll, and this kind of, this movie kind of takes a different road for me, but I'll just start with this, you know, when it came out, I didn't like it as much as the first one. And, there was moments of the film that I just was like, what? Like I, there was a lot of things in it that I kind of, it just felt like it was kind of lost. And I think you make a great point, Sean, is that I think the short turnaround time really, really like showed up. And, Mm -hmm. and I I think you could feel that throughout some of the, you know, some of the things in the film, some of the subplots, some of the ideas just didn't seem quite fleshed out. And, um, it's just one of those things where I just kind of left. Uh, I don't know, and and I have to I have to admit, and I'll I'll, I'll stop this, and we'll, we'll keep going with the film. I'll, I'll explain what happened later on. But I never went and saw saw this again in the theater. I actually only saw it once, which again is very rare for me. I just you know I mean I I'm not sure if I was just really busy or what, but I just. I only saw the movie once in the theater and I just was kind of, I have to admit, I felt a little disappointed walking out of it. I didn't feel disappointed walking out of it. The first time I saw it was, uh, it was the Friday morning that it came out. Um, because at the time, uh, the job I was working was more like I was working like late afternoon into very late evening. So like, you know, the Thursday night showings were just not going to happen for me, but that also meant that I had time in the morning. So I remember I went to 
like whatever the first showing in the morning was at the in the theater that was closest by. Although I can't remember, it's one of two theaters that I I went to. I can't remember exactly which one. It was either in Brea or Anaheim Hills, which were in Orange County, California. Um, so I would have gone to one of those two theaters, and I remember seeing it in. Uh, yeah, I saw it in the morning. So I it's not really easy to get a bunch of people to go with you on a Friday morning. So it was just me <laughs> because like, you know, the schedule that I was working on was so weird that like everybody else was already at work on Friday. And, you know, like by the time you know, by uh, everybody's already at work, so they couldn't go with me. So it was just me, uh, which I didn't care. I'm happy to go watch a movie by myself, but um, I remember watching it at least the first time I had somebody with me the second time I saw it, but it was only twice that I saw Iron Man two. And usually I actually see these movies more than twice. Um, especially in the, uh, in the MCU. But anyway, um, yeah, I remember I wasn't disappointed by it. I remember being bothered by a couple, you know, by, well, more than a couple, by a few spots, like throughout the movie of things that just didn't come together, uh, quite as well. But I also still remember being very entertained by a lot of it. Um, because one of the big revelations for me was, I went into the movie thinking I was going to love Mickey Rourke, but I just loved the shit out of Sam Rockwell <laughs> as Justin Hammer. Um, and I think that was, I would have wanted just more of that character in the movie because he was so damn good. Um, so I, I definitely walked out feeling like it wasn't as good as the first Iron Man. That much was, that much was clear to me. But what was actually kind of surprising is when I, you know, when I got home, and I was like looking on, you know, just looking on the internet and just going through the different message boards I would, I would visit at the time and just seeing what people thought of the movie. Um, and I just couldn't, like, I was actually kind of surprised at how many people just flat out didn't like it, you know, or how, you know, at, at how big people thought the gap was between the first Iron Man film and then, of course, Iron Man 2. Um, which I, I mean, I was in complete agreement with everybody that it wasn't, it was not as good as Iron Man for sure. But I, it wasn't this thing where, at least not at least not on my end, it wasn't this this idea where Iron Man was great and Iron Man Two was garbage. Like I didn't have the you know I didn't have as nearly as wide of a gap between the films as everybody else did. I mean it was it was a significant enough gap to be very clear and, and noticeable, but not not quite where everybody else had it. Right, and so this is where I want to take it, and in, in take it takes a turn. The Iron Man 2 journey takes a turn, Sean. Uh-oh. And, yeah, so here's what happened. Um, I I think I got my first Blu-ray player right before – I don't know if I got it. I think I got, I think I got it after it came out. But I got my first Blu-ray player, and I remember buying Iron Man 2 on Blu-ray. Mm. Uh, it was one of my first early Blu-rays. I remember that. And um, I just kind of was – I bought it. I hadn't really watched it. And I just kind of thought to myself, eh, I'll watch it eventually. And and I think like a week later, I, I popped it in and watched it. Not begrudgedly, but just kind of like, eh, I just kind of seen it in a while. And I wanted to see it. And I watched it again, and I liked it a lot more. Mm. And it was weird because – you know, I was I agree with 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 the set with the general census of it's not as good, it's not you know all this and I'm, and I, I only saw it once in the theater, and I remember just being like whatever. Saw it again and went, huh, that was actually a lot better. And I remembered I remembered that I was tired when I saw it, so I'm like maybe I was just in a bad mood mm. or something. And I have to say, every time I watch it, I like it more and more to a point where. I think it's more middle of the road MCU film for the most part than just not being 
okay or whatever. I think it's actually got some good stuff in it. There's there's definitely some stuff that definitely shows weaknesses, and I think I definitely I definitely think the the disconnect between the writer and the director is there. I think there's obvious, not obvious, but there's parts that I could see that mm-hmm. that that happening. But I have to say, if you look at this movie as a Iron Man sequel. It's just okay. I, I could see where it's just okay. If you look at it as an Avengers building movie, then I think this movie is a lot better. And it becomes when you when you don't when you don't look at it in a vacuum of just Iron Man, you look at it to the the grander scheme of the MCU building the Avengers. It becomes a vastly better film. And I know that you you can't it, it it's it needs to be in its own merit. It needs to be its own film. Right. In order to be a good movie, I'm not going to say that it, it has, it, you know, it doesn't have to do that or, or whatever. It, it really does. To be a, su- a successful movie, sequels have to be their own thing. That's what makes some good sequels, right? But you know, the MCU is a different animal in a sense, and I really do think Iron Man Two deserves a little more respect in the MCU um, lineage because it does build so much into the, you know, to the Avengers and there's so many Easter eggs. There's so many connections. There's, you know, you have black widow, Scarlet, um, Scarlet Johansson, uh, black widow, Nick Fury, war machine, um, you know, Nas the Thor, Nas the captain America. I mean, there's just so much in this movie that is building towards the Avengers. And when you have that, and you know you're going to get the eventual amazing Avengers film in a few years, is this movie just looks a little more like it's a stepping stone. And, and I think that could be viewed as a good or a bad thing. For me, now, after watching it on Blu-ray a bunch of times, um, I think it's a lot better than people give it credit. And I think it's because it's a stepping stone to even a bigger uh, piece that we're going to get in a, in a few years. But I definitely have to say, this movie has gotten better with eight with time and building up to the Avengers. Well, I think what you really enjoy about the movie is what people hate about it. <laughs> like what what I see, you know, the, the film criticized for more than anything else is that it has too much. It spends too much time focusing on building out the broader MCU than it does focusing on its right. own story. That's and fair. I, and I see that point. Um, I don't totally agree with it, although I. You know, I, I kind of think Marvel agrees with that assessment. You know, I, I think Kevin Feige would agree with that because they've never done it like this again. You know, they've never done right. Uh, maybe a little got got close with Age of Ultron, but we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> but but I think this one spends more time even on maybe that stuff than maybe even Age of Ultron does. But um, yeah. But anyway, you know it. I don't know. Like I, I still don't. I, like I see what everybody says, but I feel like everything that's introduced to build up the MCU is, for the most part, still feeding back into the story that they're telling. Because like the entire idea of Shield and what they're doing there, like that's all part of the the plot line that's that's that belongs exclusively to Tony, which is fixing right. the fact that he's being poisoned by having a palladium core in the arc reactor in his chest and having to you know synthesize a new element. Uh, in order to replace that. So, you know, and, and the whole shield thing, like it fits into that. It points him out to his dad and gives him more information. Like, and that is, you know, Tony's relationship with his, with his father is, it's a huge part of his entire arc throughout, throughout that film and throughout, of course, the, the Marvel cinematic universe. So I think it does a better job of focusing on its own story 
than most people give it credit for. I just think it has shortcomings in general as a film, like on its own. And it's not necessarily related to the MCU tie-in stuff. There's just stuff that the connective tissue in the film is not as strong and not as well-developed. It's a collection of that's a fun scene, that's a fun scene, that's a fun scene, but they're not con- but the overall narrative doesn't come together as well. You know, it kind of it, in that way, it actually kind of reminds me of Age of Ultron in that that was what I said about Age of Ultron even when I first you know, first saw or first reviewed it. Um so I'm spoiling that podcast a little bit, but it's the, that oh, same boy. idea of here's a movie that has some really great, really fun, really cool scenes, but how those scenes get together and how they, how they're set up and how things move, you know, how the plot moves from a to B to C and on down the line isn't necessarily as strong and it isn't as tight and cohesive um, as we see in the better MCU movies. So I definitely have this toward the bottom of my, you know, my MCU list. I would say it's in, it's definitely in my bottom three, but it's probably the highest of that bottom three. And it the way I look at it is I I don't think this is a bad movie I think it's a solidly entertaining movie that's just you know a little more flawed than most uh, most Marvel movies but I think part of the reason why Iron Man two has the reputation that it does and it's it's important to point out that like the movie still still did fairly well critically obviously not as well as Iron Man but I mean it's still like most critics still gave it a positive review so it's not this scenario where Iron Man 2 was some critical disaster. It's spoken of worse on the internet than like what its yes. actual reputation was for critics <clears throat> and, and moviegoers at the time. And I think part of the reason why, you know, it's why it stands out as a negative in the MCU instead of just being a positive or just a more reasonable, solid, you know, more seen more reasonably as just a solid entry uh, in the MCU, a solid but maybe unspectacular entry in the MCU is it's kind of like, you know, the kid in school who gets straight A's and then brings home a B minus. Like if you had a kid who brought home straight C's all the time, that B minus would look awesome. But mm, like yeah. for the kid who has straight A's, the B minus is like, what the hell happened? You know, like it's, <laughs> there's, there's a concern because there's a certain standard that's been set, you know, and, and the, and the, and the first Iron Man film of course set a really high standard, a really high bar uh, that the second film wasn't, uh, was not able to meet. But there's a lot of stuff that I enjoy about the film. Like I still think Downey's performance is is very good in this. He has a lot of good scenes. Um, I, yes, things get clunky with the party scene, and and most people agree that that's bad. I think even Kevin Feige has has said that you know the the War Machine fight or the Mark II fight with between uh, Tony and Rhodey isn't necessarily as great as they'd hoped it would be. So there are some things that miss the mark. But you know the Mark V suit in Monaco is badass. <laughs> like I enjoy mm-hmm. that fight. Um, I talked about how much I enjoy um, how much I enjoyed uh, Sam Rockwell as Justin Hammer, and uh, like I and the relationship between Tony and Pepper. Like I feel like they did her they did her character a huge disservice by just turning her into a screaming mess in Monaco in the backseat of the Rolls Royce. So that wasn't cool. But other than that, like I really liked the the way they tracked the relationship between Tony and Pepper throughout that movie to the payoff where they like finally get together at the end. Like I enjoyed that. I enjoyed all the stuff, all the new stuff with Rhodey. You know, the big, you know, the big letdown of the movie for me is actually what ended up being Mickey Rourke as whiplash. Like he's just such a flat villain. And I don't think they really did a good job showing his perspective. You know, he had, there was an interesting start to it 
um, at the very beginning because you see his his father die and, and he's talking about how, you know, Howard Stark was a thief who pretty, you know, kind of stole ideas from his father. And so he kind of had this, you know, semi-legitimate reason for doing what he was doing. At least you could see like internally why he thought he was the hero of this story. But then like he just turns into comic relief um, with wanting his bird and all this other my bird. stuff. Like, my bird. My know, bird. Like, all this stuff like, and you know, Justin Hammer is supposed to be comic relief. Mickey Rourke's villain shouldn't be so much on the on the comic relief side of things. Um, but even worse than that, like every argument that he makes that hit, that's his reason for being like the other characters just casually kind of dismiss. Like Jarvis talks about Ivan Vanko's father being you know deported for selling secrets, and you know, and uh, Ivan himself sold like weapons grade plutonium to Pakistan. And even when Nick Fury shows up, says yeah. Ivan or Ivan's father Anton wanted money, so Howard had him deported. Blah blah blah. So like they just completely illegitimize everything that he was trying to say <laughs> and everything that he apparently <laughs> stood for. So it takes the it, it just undercuts the dramatic edge of like why of this this antagonist's entire purpose. So like if everything he's saying is bullshit, then why am I supposed to care about it? Like it it might actually work stronger if I care about this guy a little bit and even think that even if I don't ultimately agree with what he does, that he actually has a point. Yeah. You know, I, there is, like you said, there's so much great stuff in this. Um, the Monaco scene I, is probably my favorite part in the movie. Um, I love well, the especially, suitcase. Uh, especially the gif I tweeted out today of oh, Justin yeah. Hammer, just like when he just leans his head out at the bar, like one of the, hands down, one of the funniest moments ever in the MCU. Yeah, I, I agreed. Rockwell was great as Hammer. I mean, if, if for people... All who... the tanner on his hands when he first meets Vanko. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and that's... This and ice that's cream good... I had it flown in from San Francisco. It's Italian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to eat my dessert first. Uh, yeah, you know, but here's the thing. with People need to understand that Justin Hammer's character in the comic books is... Um, an old man. Yeah. Like, so they totally went and revamped the character. And I think he's, I love Rockwell's Justin Hammer. Um, and the whole bit, the whole bit in the Senate hearing where he's calling him Anthony, like just how, how like overly (laughs) familiar and condescending that is. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the thing is like, I wish he was in the movie more. Like it, it was, it, it was a mistake to, I think, give him less screen time than, uh, whiplash. Whiplash could have been a crony. Which that's what that's what he thought he was mm-hmm. when he wasn't. But I think you could have, you know, with more time, you could have made and, and maybe some hindsight, you could have made Justin Hammer like the even though, even though you're treading on a little bit of the first film a little, you know, with a uh, um, with oh, uh, what's his, yeah, it's another it's another bad yeah, guy in a suit, thing. but yeah, right. But he was a but, good, but he's a good bad guy. He's great. He's funny. He's but he was so different. It, it, to me, it would have worked. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think there's there is some great stuff in this. Uh, I think the Monaco scene, like I said, is, is my favorite scene in, in the movie. Um, I love love the suitcase suit as I as I like yep. to call it. Um, which I, some people would say call it the Centurion suit, which is the um, from the comics that yeah. was the well, it definitely uh, has the Centurion color scheme. Well, right, it's silver and red, but it's missing the triangle, which is mm. my favorite part of the suit. Honestly, I know I sounds ridiculous, but I don't care. Um, so no, there's there's great stuff. I, I you know I think that Justin Hammer again was great. Um, I, Gwyneth Paltrow, I feel like you said this wasn't as good, wasn't as well written in in this movie. Um, yeah, I, think, I think she was good, but whoever it, whoever's idea 
was to turn her into just like a screaming mess in the back of the car in Monaco. Like, I don't know. That was a bit, that was a misstep, but everything else in the movie actually, actually enjoyed about her character. Yeah. And I think, I, I think Gwyneth's performances in, in all the films are all really good. I, mm-hmm. I think she's really solid in all of them. And I think it's a credit to that. I think another, another actress probably would have struggled in a movie like this, but I, but I think where she really, you know, she really thrives. Um, so, um, yeah, so there's, you know, there's lots of good stuff. I mean, obviously Robert Downey Jr. is, is great in it. Um, I feel he's kind of a little bit, the, the character arc he goes through is just kind of confusing at the very end with the palladium when he figured, when he makes his own, like, you know, uh, what he, I don't even know what he makes. What, what he is makes, it again? It, they just call it a new element. You know? New he, element. He, he makes a, a new element. I, I, I'll be honest. I'll, I think it took me two, three times to figure out and maybe I'm just stupid. I don't know. But, uh, to me, it just took me a while to figure out like, how did that work again? And I watch it and go, Oh, oh, got it. No, I don't know how it worked. He, no, it's the science of it is completely. Hey, don't worry about it. <laughs> no, that, yeah, because it, like, it, it yeah, just goes yeah. from it goes from Jarvis telling him it's impossible to build. Yeah, well, let me knock out a few walls, put a hole in the floor, run some cables, get some, you know, let me order some gear, and uh, I'll figure it out. Um, yeah, like it, it was just the you know there was no. I mean, granted, like, you know, finding the using like the the model of the original Stark Expo is, is you know, was kind of his uh, that was his roadmap to knowing like what the element looked like. And ha- so, of course, that's kind of how he needed to synthesize it. But all the science of that is is super fuzzy, which I mean, it's I roll my eyes at it a little bit, but I'm also like, you know, I need to punch myself in the face for it because there's tons of pseudoscience and superhero movies that I just let go. And I probably need to let go of that one as well. But I think it's easier to do that when you love everything else that's going on more. <laughs> like, no, but, right, right. But like when you don't enjoy the movie as much, then it's easier to get like fixated on on stuff that maybe normally you, you know, you don't get stuck on. Yeah, yeah. And so there's there's just some weird takes that you just kind of, kind of just squint your eyes at and go, what? And, you know, I think that, you know, that's the thing. Like you, again, you say it best. It just shows that there just wasn't as well thought of as, uh, as the, as this first movie, you know, there, I'm going to give a, a parallel with what you're saying. It's like, you know, I was watching uh, the Tom Petty documentary, you know, one of my favorite things to watch, which rest, rest in peace, by the way, Tom. Mm-hmm. I love Tom Petty a lot. Um, so um, the, the Jimmy Iovine, who's also the guy who created Beats headphones and uh, and, and everything, um, he, he produced um, the first couple or a, a couple of, of Tom's biggest albums. And what he said was so many times the, the artist will spend – will have like five years – making you know their first album you know, the create you know developing the songs whatever and the second album they have like a year mm-hmm. you know and and, and 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 if you think about it same thing goes for this movie because you you had so much lead time to throw out a script to write multiple drafts to mm-hmm. say you know directors you know directors coming in you kind of already have an idea of what you want to do whereas as soon as this movie was a giant hit marvel's on the clock They've got to get this movie out ASAP. And, um, you know, it's, it's it'd be interesting to think of if they gave it a little bit more time, what what would have been different, you know, and, and what, 
you know, what could have been because that to me is what like you, and you, you nailed it. Like, I just think, keep thinking they just rushed this thing. You know, they had to because mm-hmm. they, you know, because well, they again, weren't, they weren't when they decided to jump in with this movie, they didn't have another revenue source at the time. Like they were just making comic book movies at Marvel studios and they weren't, yeah. remember they weren't backed by anybody. Like they yeah. partnered with Paramount and Universal for distribution on certain films, but or in all the films, it was well. It was really just Universal for Incredible Hulk. Everything else was Paramount. Um, it wasn't until they had already gone into production. They might have already wrapped. I'm not sure um, exactly on the timeline, but you know when the Disney purchase happened in 2009, like they had already they had already done it. You know, in terms of Iron Man two, I think if they had been bought by Disney immediately after Iron Man, then they might have had the luxury of waiting. But it's a lot harder to wait when you're on your own as a movie studio. And like, okay, you've made your two movies, but now what are you going to do? Because remember, right. Marvel Studios had no movies released in 2009. So if they didn't have an, like an Iron Man sequel ready to go for 2010, they would have gone back-to-back years with nothing um, you know, to release. And that, that certainly would have been an issue for them. So, I mean, I, I understand all the reasons why this one got rushed. It's just unfortunate that it did because I think it, it, it ultimately hurt the end result. Um, but I think that's why you see Marvel has not been doing that. Like they've spaced out their sequels a little bit more, uh, than they, than they did for Iron Man from, from Iron Man to, uh, to Iron Man two. Um, but I, you know, there's tons of other stuff I, I really enjoy in this movie. Like I love the, the end fight sequence, like of Iron Man versus the drones. And then of course, Iron Man and war machine together versus the drones. Like that, you know, those are some of my favorite shots in the MCU. I mean, Tony with the lasers out of his hands, like cutting everything down or, you know, one of my absolute favorite shots, like the the most War Machine shot in the MCU is, you know, when War Machine and Iron Man are back to back and then Rhodey just starts gunning down that drone and you see like the, instead of blood splatter, it's oil splatter on the, uh, on the War Machine armor, on the, on the helmet. Like it just looks so badass and it just looks so, you know, so War Machine um, <laughs> that I really, really loved it. So, the, and that's the thing with Iron Man too, is like, there are moments that I love and, and most of the, the greater MCU setup stuff, like I loved seeing like the little prototype cap shield. I you know, oh, I yeah. loved you know, the reference to New Mexico and then of course the end credit sequence, uh seeing uh Thor's hammer. So like Ugh. all of that stuff like I was enjoying that stuff. Like that stuff wasn't really bothering me. And I think the the last thing that I would just kind of say about it from the like the overall perspective of like of Downey's performance is, you know, it, it bothered me a bit more, a bit more the first couple times I saw it, but it's actually bothered me less and less because I understand what he's doing. Like people kind of criticize Downey in, in Iron Man too because they think it's just his uh, his performance is kind of just uh, you know a little like uneven and it's a little chaotic. But when I you know going back and watching the movie multiple times, like it's. I don't think it's this thing of Downey just improving everything and, and not knowing what he was doing. Like, I think it's a very calculated move because Iron Man two was a little jarring for me the first time I saw it when it first starts, because it's just, it's just so wild and, and almost out of control because you have like you're thrown after you get the little prologue with Ivan Vanko, like you're thrown into Tony at the Stark expo and he's got all this crazy stuff going on and he's sick and he's dying and it's this and that. But I think they, it was very intentional to kind of show like, this is what it is like of the, this is kind of the, the, the immediate downside to that celebrity superhero idea that was introduced at the very end of Iron Man with the whole, I am Iron Man speech. Like it's this idea of, 
you know, Tony Stark, if you look at his bigger arc throughout the MCU, like he has steps forward, but he has steps back, you know, like Tony was when Tony found out how hated he was and the, and the wrongs that he had done, like he just, you know, he, he fixed himself or he thought he did. He became a better person and started being more selfless. But then once he started getting fame and attention and love and admiration for that again, then he kind of fell back a bit into a little bit of his of his old self, which is just kind of being selfish and aren't I so great? Aren't I so smart? And this is, you know, I'm just so amazing. And that backfires on him in Iron Man 2. And he has to kind of grow from that. So, you know, like it, it actually makes sense to me in the way that it comes together. And I'm, that's not to say that it's all executed perfectly. It definitely isn't in the movie, but I think the general ideas that they're going for, they're good ideas and they have moments of really good execution, but it's just not solid throughout. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's funny. Cause I, again, I, there's only a few moments in this movie that I think that are just kind of weird. Obviously the party scene is the biggest one where I think it, it really suffers from it, it's not just the, the tone of everything because it that is definitely a problem but I think it's the fact that you have Tony in his suit and it just looks really fake um when I you know it's different when he's when he's in the donut uh, the giant donut and hanging out like it looks fine there but in the party it just looks really like he's in a big plastic toy. And um, I don't know why it just it just looks really off to me. And um, the fight with Rhodey, that scene is so weird. But you know the whole scene, and you even said it best. Like it's just kind of strange. And but then then it, it quickly turns around, and you can't tell. When, it's supposed to be this big dramatic moment, but right. it's treated as super cartoonish and silly. Like right. the music. You know, going with another one bites the dust. Like, and then you know, this, you you change the song in the middle of the fight. <laughs> like, yeah, and, it's a robot know, rock. Yeah, yeah and like, and, and but everything's all just kind of like upbeat, fun, and silly about it. And it's like, well, no, like two best friends. Like, Tony is like hitting rock bottom. Like, he thinks he's gonna die, and he's gotten drunk, and he's like endangering innocent people. They're stupid people, but they're still innocent <laughs> at his party. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's doing all this stuff, and like, Rhodey's having to stop him and confront him. So here's two best friends confronting each other and there's no drama to it. Like it's just, um, even, even the action itself, it's not even a great fight, like action wise, you know? So there's not really a whole lot going on. Like it's just, I, I mean, it's like two brothers wrestling, but like, <laughs> you know, like, but not in a, you know, like, and it should be more dramatic than that. Cause it, I feel like the movie wants me to feel that this is dramatic, but it's not doing anything to make it dramatic. Mm-hmm. That's uh, a great point. Yeah, that's a great point. And it's weird that like, uh, you know, Rhodey just takes a suit. And I yeah. feel, uh, even though it may it works in the movie, I always had a problem with him just taking the suit and against Tony's will. And you well, know, they show in the movie that it's not against Tony's will because. Uh, Black Widow has that line where she says, like, you know, I checked the Stark security stuff and there are redundancies to prevent unauthorized usage. So it's basically saying that Tony pre-authorized Rhodey to be able to take a suit. Right. I mean, I just don't think it's just like a ham fisted way of saying that. So rather than having like a scene that like develops that, it's like, oh, here's how this makes sense. (laughs) Like with a line of dialogue. Right, but it's, it doesn't work. And oh, I, I agree. You know, no, but I mean, 
what it doesn't work, I think, from which what she says, but even the, from a character standpoint of James, uh, Rody, I should say, I don't call him James. Um, Rody, I just don't see him doing that. He did take the armor back when they were like beefing in the 90s, but this to me. I just don't. I just don't buy this. This roadie just taking the suit, being like, "I'm taking it to the government. See ya, buddy." And I just, I don't know. I just, they're best friends. I just don't see him doing that. I see, you know, I see him putting on the suit and you know taking him on and, and keeping him in line. Sure, absolutely, that's totally James Rhodes. But going to the government and having Justin Hammer work on it, that to me was very just strange. And I just kind of, I mean, I buy it now. It's fine. It had, yeah. It, it, but at the same time. I didn't like. I didn't love it, but I also it also set up a great you know montage not montage but little. I love the scene when oh, Justin Hammer is going through all the guns that he's in, put on it. You know, yeah. I mean, it's that was awesome. Yeah, boys called Uncle Gaspacho. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's just Sam. That's right. It was Sam. They, I remember listening to the commentary. It was um, they were in. They had, he had a little microphone in his ear. Mm-hmm. And they're telling him all the guns, and he was just—I think he was just uh, ad-libbing all the everything else. I think like, hey, this is what it is, and then he'd yeah. be like, "This, uh, you know, yeah, this is from Belgium. <laughs> Tell you, they make something better than waffles." <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean, the ex-wife, all of that stuff. Oh, like, the ex- it's, yeah, it's an amazing scene. I mean, the one thing they do say about it for Rhodey is like he's ordered to do it um, right before like Hammer shows up, and we know that. Rhodey still does respect like his place in the military and in the whole rank and file of it. So I kind of give, you know, some of the, I, I give some of that stuff a pass. Um, but I think it's just that overall thing of there's some really good stuff happening here. It just doesn't come together uh, in the way as, uh, you know, it doesn't come together as seamlessly as, you know, we would like it to. And certainly as we would expect uh, based on the MCU. So I want to, talk a, a before we're we're done here i want to make sure we talk a little bit about kind of you know we've we've alluded to this a bit in terms of how you know our our views on the film have have changed over time and, and you know it's kind of its place in history in the mcu i don't think there's any way for this movie to really move up uh, you know in terms of broader perception i think this movie will always be ranked on most lists near the bottom of the mcu and and as i said it's you know it's not uh it's it's not at the very bottom of mine, but it's it's certainly closer to that than it is the top. So I don't think I don't necessarily think the overall perception of it is that wrong in terms of where it ranks in the MCU. But I do have a different opinion in terms of what exactly that means, because, as I said, I think this is still a solid and entertaining movie. And I think that's actually a sign of how good Marvel Studios is, how great the Marvel Cinematic Universe is, that this actually is one of their lesser movies, you know, because I still think that this is. Uh, a solid movie that is better than a lot of other comic book movies that have come out, uh, you know, in the modern era of uh, superhero movies. So, you know, I don't necessarily think that, um, you know, so I, I still, I, I'm sure I like this movie better than most. I wouldn't say, I, I, I wouldn't go quite like what you said of, I like this movie more every time I watch it. I think mm-hmm. what actually happens is, Every time I sit down to watch this movie, I think I'm going to like it less. Like, I think I'm finally going to feel more like the way other people feel in terms of Mm -hmm. how strongly negative they are um, on this film. Um, But I don't. I end up, I always end up liking it, you know, I always end up liking it just as much. I always end up loving, you know, loving the parts I already loved and then just kind of rolling my eyes at the part that I was already rolling my eyes at. So, 
I love and hate the same things about it, you know, uh, as, as I always have. So it's, it's not so much that it gets better every time. It just never gets worse. And even though like every time I watch it, I, I expect it to, but it doesn't cause I still, I still have enough moments in this movie, um, that make me laugh, that entertain me, that just, you know, put me in awe as a comic book fan. So it has, it has all that stuff for me. Yeah, you know. By the way, I I, I want to say I'd be remiss to uh, to not bring up something that always weirded me out. You know, when Iron Man's floating, when he has like he has his hand, his palms out, and he's like really close together, it looks like he's like just a little fairy. And and they both him <laughs> him him and uh, War Machine when they're fighting, they both have this really. They have it throughout the films, yeah. but like it looks so weird when they're both just kind of they're put together and they're just like floating around and just like I feel like there's like little like fairy wings behind them, you know. Uh, it's just really weird. It just, it doesn't look great. It's I wish they would have it would uh, they would have gone a little bit cooler superhero pose besides that that um that was like their go to it feel it feels like for a, a bunch of these uh scenes but uh but no yeah I, I think this movie just to me when i watch it it just doesn't it just it doesn't i enjoy it more than a lot of other mcu films which we'll get into later which i'm almost embarrassed to admit but uh i, I like i said I, I do like it more than i think most people do and like i said i think it also has to do with the fact that it does heavily start bringing in the ties of the avengers and i I'll be honest, that works for me as a diehard, you know, Marvel zombie. So, you know, because it does that, I'm probably going to give it a way more of a pass than most people, even as casual Marvel fans. So, yeah, I think Iron Man 2, flaws and all, is is still not as bad as people make it out to be. No, I mean, I'm never going to feel quite the way that other people do in terms of how negative they are on the movie. It's... uh... You know, it's like I said, it's just a testament to Marvel Studios that I have this near the bottom of my list, but it's still a movie that I like. I mean, I'm I certainly don't watch this one nearly as often as I watch other Marvel movies that I enjoy more. But when I do go back and watch this movie, um, I still uh, I still enjoy the experience. Um, So. What we're going to talk about next is going to be over on Patreon for all of our patrons over there. so and thank you to all of you who are who have been supporting us uh, so far, and for those of you who might want to uh, start supporting us. Uh, besides, I mean, you already support us by listening to the show, obviously. But if you want to add any additional support by uh, supporting us on Patreon, uh, you can do that. And then we'll be ta- we will be extending this episode over there so that you will have the chance to listen to our Patreon credit scene, in which we'll be talking about the connective tissue between this film, Iron Man 2, and Avengers Infinity War that we're all getting ready to see in May. Um, But we're also going to be talking about the upcoming changes to the relationship between Marvel and Netflix as that relates to the the MCU and the Defenders series uh, that have been going on over there and the the prospects, of course, of any new series between Marvel and Netflix. So we're going to be talking about all of that uh, over there will be that bonus segment over available over on our Patreon page, which is again at Patreon.com/slash Marvel Studios News. Paul, where can everybody find you? People can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, aka P Thug. We'll talk about Marvel, Star Wars, music, and a little NFL football. 
And you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Sean Gerber, Sean spelled S-E-A-N. And if you want to follow this uh, podcast, you can follow it on Twitter at Marvel Newscast. You can also go to Facebook, facebook.com slash Marvel Studios News, and the website, marvelstudiosnews.com, where you can read what I write about the Marvel Cinematic Universe every single day. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks, as always, for listening. We'll see you next time. And for our Patreon subscribers, uh, we'll see you over with for the uh, Patreon credit scene.